In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. It is uh, so good to be with you. Uh, I'm excited about this message. It's something that God has done a work in my life. Uh, this message is something I discovered two years ago in a devotional that a board member had with our ministry, and I was like, what? This is not true. And I, I studied the Bible, and I realized, man, for 30 years, 32 years now of full-time ministry, I never knew this thing. So simple, yet so profound. i got to tell you a story I'm ashamed of. You know, God asks us to do the hard things. Have you noticed that? We walk through the hard things. Last year at the MAG gathering, one of the questions was, what makes you angry? And I was with a bunch of like-minded dudes, and I said, I'll tell you what makes me angry. People who, like, do stupid stuff and want others to pay for their stupidity. I said, there's this guy, and you're going to love this story. I've already told you this story. I've already told Colin this story. I said, there's a guy who, his kids were in my youth group. They had a massively large family. As soon as the last kid was gone, he divorced his wife, and, and now I see him on this, his wife uh, with these multiple multitudes of children, had to go from church to church begging for money to pay for her kids because she didn't have a job. She had a ton of kids. And I said, I, this guy slowly over time became homeless, and I see him holding a sign in McMinnville saying, you know, we'll work for food, I'll humbly ask you to help me. And I said, I, and I told my guys, I said, I drive by that guy, and I want to throw rocks at him. I know what he did to his family. The next week, he showed up to our gathering. <laughs> I told Lad, I had to repent. I had to repent. I had to, and, and he, on his way over, the ride, the guy that took him, his gas can, he had a gas can. The gas can spilled all over this, this man, and he smelled like gasoline. So I got this stinky guy who I want to throw rocks at is out of my gathering now. You know, he's come every single week since. And we're becoming friends. And I've had to really go out of my comfort zone because I want to throw rocks. I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. God asks us to do the hard things. He really, really does. I think, about, I think about husbands in Ephesians 5. He says, guys, I know that your default setting is respect. But five times God says, love your wife. Guys go, whoa, that, I'd rather respect her. God says, no, do the hard thing. With your enemies, we want to throw rocks at our enemies. God says, no. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. What? That's the hard thing. With those who, are, who have less than us, right? We want to hang out with all of our, you know, same demographic, right? We don't hang out with those, those people. And God says, hold on, hold on. If you show partiality to anyone, you're living in sin. I preached a whole sermon on that last week at the mag. We want to ignore the little children when they run around. We want to ignore the children and just hang out with our buddies at church. And God says, Jesus said, let the children come. That's the hard thing, right? To go, hey, bro, I'm going to go say hi to this little kid right here. It's the hard stuff. That's the stuff Jesus loves. God tells us to love strangers. 
Well, we live in a world that says what? Stranger danger, stranger danger. Even though most children who are abused are abused by someone they know. But we live in a world that says stranger danger. But God says, man, when people come into your world, just say to them, Mikasa es su casa. You are at home. That we bring people into our world. Bringing strangers. I'm so excited to speak about this message because I did not know what the biblical meaning of hospitality was until I dug deep into this. And I think we're going to do a message today on one word. I'm, one word. The word hospitality. I think you'll be shocked at what you hear this morning. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a choice this morning. You can turn to either Titus chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, or 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. They're essentially the same verse. Father, thanks for this time. I just pray that you would remove me from this equation. I pray that I would be the conduit of your word. I pray that uh, I would be forgotten and what you do through our hearts and in our hearts this morning would be remembered. Thank you for the wonderful worship, how Carrie and her team set it on the tee this morning. And I pray, God, that your word would smack it out of the park. And so we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So a little background here. So, so, we're gonna, so there are three letters in the Bible. The, the first... Uh, book of Timothy, the second book of Timothy, and the book of Titus. These are in scholarly world called the pastoral epistles because Paul is writing to his protégés, uh, uh, Timothy, who's the pastor in Ephesus, and Titus, who's, in the past, who's the pastor of the island of Crete, the Grecian island of Crete, and he's helping them understand how to recruit, train, and find leaders. And in this, he lists 20 qualities or 20 qualification for the spiritual leader, which really should be the goal of every person in this room. I wrote a book on this called The Full Capacity Man. I'm still trying to sell it. But it's about these qualities. This should be our goal. It's interesting. My wife and I, uh, we were gone for two weeks in September. Uh, my, my sons are so mad at my wife because she pulled me out of uh, the last two weeks of archery elk season to go to Greece for our 30th anniversary. And we stayed on the island of Crete. And at one night in the island, on, on, on actually in Athens, and I got to stand on Mars Hill and see where Paul preached. It was like life-changing. Well, I have a, my wife and I have fought for every inch of our marriage. It has been so hard. Marriage is hard. So we had our 30th anniversary. We partied. It was worth it. It's hard work. When we went on the trip, I felt prompted to say to Shannon, you know, honey, I know we're going to go and just kind of have a great time, but... Let's be open to what God does. And I'm going to tell three stories of what God just, God just brought people to us. We're like, what are you doing at this pastry shop? And God did some radical things in the hearts of people through hospitality. And God did some radical things through us, through the hospitality of others. And one potential serial killer, which I'll tell you about later. But, <clears throat> but when Paul's writing to the, uh, Titus, Titus is on the island of Crete. Crete. So let's look at this here. So to Titus, he writes... Since an overseer, this is the word for spiritual leader. This should be the goal for all of us, right? Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent. So here's a list of several of the 20, right? Uh, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, Faithful to his wife, temperate, self-control, respectable, hospitable. In the first century, you may not know this, but the first century church burst 
onto the global scene because of this thing called hospitality. Did you know this? This is what God used. This is the tool God used to bring the gospel on the scene. Hospitality combined with evangelism spread the gospel like wildfire. And here's what you may not know historically. In the first through third centuries, Rome had certain emperors that went after Christians and killed them and persecuted them. We start with, uh, we start with a Nero, A.D. 54 through 68. Used to, I think Pastor David mentioned this last week. He'd, he'd light Christians and make candles out of them. Just light them up. Roman candle, baby. So when you're 4th of July kids, all right. Marcus Aurelius, AD 161 to 180. Decius, 249 to 251. Trebonius, Gaius, 251 to 253. And Valerian, 253 to 260. All of these guys persecuting the church. And Christians traveling in the first century couldn't go to a Motel 6. They couldn't call the local mega church pastor. They had to find places to stay where they wouldn't be killed and persecuted. So they could share the gospel. So they would find these undercover, like, home. they wouldn't stay in the pubs because of all of the meat that was there that was sacrificed to idols and the danger of being known that you were a Christian. So they would find other believers and they would go crash at their pad. They would go hang out and stay the night at their house. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 7, Jesus kind of serves it up. Here's the recipe Jesus used He sent them out by pairs to every city and place where he was going to come. And he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest and send laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs amid wolves. Carry no money belt, no, nor bag, nor shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it'll return to you. Stay at that house, eating and drinking. This is hospitality here. This is going to some stranger's house and staying there. This is what we're talking about, loving strangers. It's mikasa sukasa. You know, over my three decades of ministry experience, I've concluded that we, I, have misunderstood hospitality. I think today some of you are going to get angry, then you're going to go, aha, that's how I discovered it. I was angry at the guy who shared it, and I was like, oh, and I repented. Or I tried to repent. Continue to repent. Here are three common myths of hospitality. Ready? Myth number one. Because quite frankly, these myths are unbiblical, but we think they're biblical. So let's, let's blow them up. Myth number one, number one. Hospitality is not, this is, but this is the truth. Hospitality is not a spiritual gift. The myth is hospitality is a spiritual gift. I hear people in the church say, well, I don't have people over my house because hospitality is not my gift. Well, good, because hospitality is not a gift. It is not a spiritual gift. It is a Christian virtue. That is the difference. We, we often, and here's the problem in the church, if you go get a spiritual gifts test, a lot of times hospitality's on it. So someone has determined that this is a spiritual gift. Well, they've taken one of the four, there's four sections in the New Testament that talk about spiritual gifts, and they take something completely out of context and they throw it in there. Let's examine 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, or 7 through 10. Now, I'm going to read this, and you tell me if you see a spiritual gift. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Period. There it is, right there. Period. Next sentence. 
As each of us has received a spiritual gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It is not a spiritual gift, period. And he goes on to a whole other thought. We've taken that out of context. A careful reading, in my opinion, makes it clear that Peter, Peter is admonishing everyone to show hospitality. It is not a gift. It is a virtue. Hospitality is never directly mentioned in any of the spiritual gifts discourses. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 31, 14, 1 through 19, 1 Peter 7 through 4, 7 through 10, or Romans 12, 1 through 18. Shanna, my wife, would tell you she does not have the gift of hospitality. But she's realized that she's one of the most hospitable people on the planet. Her job as a flight attendant, she gets paid to be hospitable. When we, we were on, in Athens getting ready to fly to Crete, and we're sitting in the airport, and this couple shows up. One lady and her, her husband, who clearly was like 15 years younger than her. And I'm kind of trying to figure out, I love figuring out people. And I'm talking to them, have a real, just really simple dialogue. Go to the bathroom, I come back, man, this gal's talking about Jesus. I mean, my wife is sitting down, this gal's talking about Jesus. I mean, all this stuff, and she's got a chosen, the chosen series. She's got a sweatshirt, I'm a chosen series nerd. Love it. Also, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus comes to find out they're, they're a brand new Christian couple. They've been married a couple years. This guy was a construction guy coming off of being homeless. He gave his life to Jesus, was working on this gal's house. I won't fill in the blanks there. They fell in love, got married. They're one-year-old Christians. And so we got to encourage them in the airport. We get on the plane. Hey, let's go to dinner. We go, okay. The next night, we have a four-and-a-half-hour dinner with them, just encouraging them in the faith. In, in, in Greece, they don't give you a check ever. They just keep giving you free food. It's the greatest place ever for a big man. <laughs> so then we get on a ferry. We go, we're, we go to Paros because we were in Crete for a week. We go to Paros. We land on the island of Paros. They're like, we're going to go to Paros. We're like, oh, you are? Okay. This is a little creepy. We get off the ferry, and here they are holding a sign. Jim and Shanna Ramos. We're like, little creepy. Okay. But I told Shanna, I said, let's just be open to what God does. We had another wonderful night of dinner with these guys and got to encourage them in their faith. My wife is flying to Texas in a couple weeks to go hang out with Maria. They're you know what I mean? I'm thinking, what is God doing with this 53-year-old woman who's a brand new Christian? But through this hospitality thing, God allowed us to engage with them and to encourage them in their faith. It's hard to become a Christian later on in life. You've got 50 years to deconstruct. And so God has brought my wife into this woman's life. It's just supernatural. We did nothing. We did nothing. It was beautiful. Mikasa. I love to do that. I feel like, you know. In Romans chapter 12, listen, Paul says this. Again, it's not a spiritual gift. He says, check it out. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above all yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. Do you see these spiritual gifts talk here at all? Nothing. Nothing here. Patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Not a spiritual gift. Christian virtue. Over and over again. Myth number two is this. We get caught up in this, this as well. Hospitality is not entertaining friends at your house. We think that's hospitality, right? Having our friends over to check out our house. Instead, it's entertaining people that you do not know. That is hospitality. Ray Pritchard says, unfortunately, we think hospitality is what happens when we get dressed up and invite our friends over for a party. That's really nice and good, but it's not hospitality. I'm going to show you some pics on the screen. So my wife and I love to explore on vacation. We get a car, rent a car, we drive around. 
we went to this town called Tatros, right on the coast of Crete, at the end of this road. We had lunch, and we decided to climb this mountain and go up into the villages. We wanted to explore a village, right? So we go explore this village, and we get to this little village here called Psych... It's called... Let me pronounce it here. It's called Psychologos, which, which means fig collector. In 2011, it had 341 people in it. I tell you, 300 of them are dead now. There's probably 50 people. So we drive down this road. We're in this little baby car. Like, if you saw me driving this car, it made a Mini Cooper look like a lifted diesel. I'm driving this little teeny car, and the road's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Finally, you can't drive any further, and we're like, oh, we're in trouble because we can't back out. We, we see a little uh, diner, four little table, two little tables, and the lights are off. So we're like, okay. Um, we get out of the car, and I send the, my wife first because I'm big and scary, and she's pretty and nice and friendly. So she gets out. She sees a Greek guy. Can we park here? Can we go in there? Lights are out. Restaurant. Lights are out. Two o'clock in the afternoon. We just had lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go in there, and there's four guys in there. They've got a stack of bread and a big, huge pitcher of wine. And my wife goes, can we have, can we come? And we just want to experience. Yes, 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 yes. So they sit us down. They begin to just go and bring everything out they could. They were, it was closed. They were in there having a good time, just the Greek guys hanging out. And I think I have a slide of some of the stuff they brought us. So here's, uh, this is, this, this is uh, crushed walnuts. They were crushing walnuts as a dessert for us by hand, giving them to us, and pomegranates. And then our main meal was bread with the coolest cheese you ever had, uh, wine, cucumbers, and some kind of really cool potato salad. And we get done with this thing, or potato soup. We get done, I say, how much? They say, 10 euros. I go, no, 15. I was like, you guys, there's no way. This is the way. I, as soon as I said 15, they freaked out. And started bringing more food out, right? <laughs> so then they're falling in love with Shan. They can't speak a word of English. All they say is nice, good, good, nice. So my wife, I go, let's get a picture. Now just look at this picture. Here's a picture of my wife with two of them. So they're just like, and the one on the right's name is, the one on the right's name is Nikolai. So Nikolai, we get done with breakfast or lunch or whatever it was. It was like lunch number two. I felt like I was a hobbit. <laughs> we get done with lunch number two. He goes, show you, show you, nice, nice, show you nice. We're like, what? He's like, I don't know, 75 years old. He gets on a scooter, like a little scooter. He's wearing flip-flops. He drives up this um, great, what's the, a, a wash, washboard road in his scooter. We're following him in our little baby car. We get to the top of this beautiful Orthodox monastery overlooking the entire Mediterranean Sea. And he goes, good, good, nice, nice. We're like, oh, yes, yeah, so nice. He goes, me leave, me leave Tatros, which is down the mile, 10, 10 miles down. You come breakfast? We're like, oh, you come coffee? No, no, no. So we take a picture over this out overlook. I want to show you something really funny. Look at this picture with my wife and him. Now, now on Facebook, if you look close, there, he's, got a, he's got something in his pocket, and it's a picture of a human back with a big slash through it. And we thought, oh my gosh, was this guy a serial killer? Why did he want us to go to coffee? But for sermon preaching, we'll just say he was practicing the gift of hospitality and gave us an experience. We don't know this guy. We'll never see him again. But the hospitality invited us into a space, even though they did not know who they are. And I'm not the most non-threatening human if you've never met me. So this, was a, this is one of these beautiful things that we experience about hospitality. It is not having friends over who you know. It's having strangers over who you need to get to know. It's the person sitting next to you who you're like, oh gosh, I mean, I know his name's Brett, but what, what is, you know, what's his story? Or I know, I know Travis back there, but what's his story? You know, it's, it's, it's getting people who you really don't know and getting to know them better. And we can do that all day long just in our church alone, can't we? 
in our church alone. My wife is watching my son run a marathon, so I'm here alone. So if you want to get to know me better and you're a male, man, let's go have lunch. Super easy. So, okay. Number three, myth number three. We think hospitality has to happen in a physical place. Hospitality is not a physical place or location. It is an environment or atmosphere. Hospitality, unlike what we do on Sunday mornings, is not circling the wagons. It is a crescent moon. In James chapter 2, James, the brother of Jesus, also known as James the Just, said this, If you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing a sin or convicted by the law as transgressors. So on Sunday mornings, I think a lot of us unknowingly do something very, very wrong. I'm going to have some of my friends come up here. So I'm going to have Colin. Come up here, Colin. Come up here, Mike. Come up here, Aaron. Come on, Aaron. Come on up here, guys. Okay, come up here. You did nothing. So on Sunday mornings, here's what happens. I love Sunday mornings, my favorite part of church is hanging out. I mean, I, I teach the Bibles. I love how much effort David puts in. But I, I show up. The worship is a bonus. It's all a bonus because I show up for this. Come here, man. So when, on Sunday mornings, men like to do life side to side, right? So we get together on Sunday mornings. We're in our little circle. We circle the wagons, right? And we have our time. Like, you shoot, you shoot like a sissy, you know? And, and Mike goes, well, you, I was with you, Ramos. You don't even know how to work your own gun. And Colin's like, well, I can't even have a gun because I'm a felon. You know, so, so, sorry, buddy, sorry. So anyway, I couldn't help it. So, so we're sitting here doing this thing, right? Well, then what happens if somebody else comes over and sits on the outside? Well, he can't come in because we circled the wagons. We're all good, but poor, poor lad Bristow's like, well, bro, guys, come on, man. He's trying to get in there. We're like, no, bro, we got the wagon circled. So on Sunday mornings, what we do is we got to open up the crescent moon and have our talks like this. Come over here a little more so that lad or Phil can come into our circle, right? Does that make sense? Just very simple thing on Sunday mornings because we tend to live life with a crescent moon. We tend to think hospitality is something that happens at our homes, when hospitality happens every Sunday mornings, when we let people in. Thanks, buddies. I appreciate you guys. I owe you a lunch, uh, Colin, for that family thing. Well. Right. Maybe I just want to hang out with you. It's not about that at all. Okay, here we go. Psych, just play, you play around with that. So this is what I'm talking about. I thank God. I thank God for the Belizean, two young Belizean gangster kids that jumped our golf cart at 1 o'clock in the morning when, we ran, when it died in San Pedro, Belize. I thank God for the attendant in the PDX employee lot who jumped Shanna's bat, a dead battery at one in the morning when she got back from a flight. I'm thankful for the strange young man who found me bonked on Utah's Moab Slick Rock Trail riding my mountain bike in 110 degrees weather, gave me his water bottle, and rode out with me so I didn't die on the trail. I thank God for a guy named Bobby Holder who found me as a 24-year-old man carrying a buck out of the mountains in 100 degree weather in the tightest wranglers you ever met, cramped up because I didn't have water, and I was dizzy because I didn't know where I was at, and he helped me carry this buck out and literally saved my life. I never knew him. Over and over again, I thank God. I thank God for the tequila salesman I met with my wife on a ferry ride to Isla Mujeres, Mexico. He helped us avoid a pending disaster. That doesn't sound as bad as it was. It had nothing to do with tequila. He was a salesman on his way. Just trust me. Uh, anyway, it's just, it, I know it sounds worse than it is, but he saved our life there. So, okay. It's people who say, mi casa su casa, even though they don't know who we are. The biblical intent of hospitality is not loving those you already know. It's loving strangers. In a world that trains its children to, about stranger danger, 
15th century philosopher and statesman Francis Bacon had it right when he said, if a man is gracious and courteous to strangers, it shows he's a citizen of the world. In Romans 12, 13, uh, in 12, 13 share the Lord's, with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. There's a word, if you've followed the news at all in the last seven years, six years, there's a word that I learned I didn't know before. The word is xenophobia. Xenophobe, xenophobic. It's basically in the political realm, it's like, oh, somebody who wants to build a wall between Mexico and America. Somebody who's afraid of other colors. Well, in the Greek, xeno means stranger. Phobia means fear. It's a fear of strangers. So this is the word that we probably have heard in the news in recent days. Well, the biblical word for hospitality, the word Paul uses, is philoxenia. Philo is the Greek phileo. Have you heard of that word? Brotherly love or kindness. Xenia is stranger. So when Paul says, Practice hospitality, he's saying practice philoxenia. Practice kindness or love or being kind to strangers. There's nothing in that equation of having your bros over for a Super Bowl party. party. It's about hanging out and getting to know people that you do not know. And guys, I think that, I think we're, I've, in all my years of church life, I've never been a church so good at taking care of its people. I'm being honest. That's why we're here. You just take care of us. I've also been in churches that are a lot better at reaching out to strangers than our church. I really think we can grow in this area. There are a lot of hurting people out there. There are a lot of great people out there who need Jesus, but they're a stranger. And we we circle the wagons on Sunday morning instead of offering the crescent moon or offering the arms of Jesus. Philoxenia. Can you say that out loud? Philoxenia? All right, so now you got to mem- you used to memorize a Bible verse. Congratulations. So my wife and I are at a pastry store on Crete, and we're sitting there, and uh, this woman, nobody, there are no Americans there. Very few Americans. You can tell by our non-accent. Everybody else has an accent except for Americans. It's weird. <laughs> so this gal walks up, she says, uh, and they're all smoking, they're all smoking, there are people all around us smoking, and you can smoke there and all that. And she says, uh, is this way to the front? I say, yeah, go in there. And she says, you're Americans? Yeah. So she came out. She's a gal about my age. So she comes, gets her stuff, and she sits down, and she starts engaging with the conversation. Well, she finds out she's from Rochester, New York. Well, I was there last November speaking, so I started to, we started to engage her about Rochester and the people there and Erie Canal and the Ni- Ni- Niagara Falls and all this stuff. And I'm like, well, why are you, like, I'm like, she's a 55-year-old pretty lady alone. What? And I'm like, so Shanna said, What's your story? Well, she's an interior designer in Rochester, New York. She went to go work on a place that she was redoing, came home a day early to find her husband cooking dinner for his girlfriend, who she knew nothing about. So she said that last time she'd ever seen him, she divorced him, sold the house, and for the last two and a half years, she's been traveling the world on a fake vaccine card with the money she got from the house. And she's talking, I'm just, I'm always thinking non-Christian, 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 non-Christian. That's how my mind is like, okay, how do I weave the gospel? How do I weave the gospel? She starts telling the story of her journeys. And without going into details, last March she gave her life to Jesus through a series of miraculous events where God just invaded her life and destroyed everything she believed and she loves Jesus. And so we're talking and we're like, I'm looking at, we're having this conversation that we did not invite ourselves into. God you know, and she's talking, and I felt compelled. I love to pray with people. 
I said, hey, can we pray with you? An hour and a half later, right? Pastries are gone. Coffee's gone. Greek coffee's about this much. You can hardly, it's like barely any coffee. She said, yes. So I always have my wife pray for women instead of me. I just think it's wise. So we go around her. We put our hands on her shoulder. We're in a restaurant. Like people all around us. And we're praying for this woman. Like just people around us. My wife, my wife prays the most beautiful prayer. Beautiful prayer. We get done and she's misting. Well, when we're praying, God gave me a verse. I said, I've got a verse for you. And she goes, well, what is it? And I go, it's a real obscure verse. It's in the Bible. It's Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the left or the right, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way walking it. She just starts weeping. I mean, like pouring down. I mean, makeup, you know, makeup highway, you know? <laughs> it was bad. Weeping. I'm like, what's, we were like, what's going on? She's like, you're not. She said, for the last month, all I've heard is God saying one phrase over and over again. And we're like, what's the phrase? We're like, what's the phrase? We're on the edge of our seats. She said, God just keeps saying to me over and over again, just look to the left and to the right. Just look to the left and to the right. It's like, I mean, but you see what happened there? God allowed us the beautiful, uh, this beautiful story to be a part of her beautiful story because we were okay with talking to a stranger. We're not strangers anymore. We're friends on Instagram, you know, type of thing. But you just never know when God is going to say, will you love this stranger? You just don't know what's going on in the hearts of people when you see them. Who is a stranger? It's just someone that you may not know very well. well Colin was a stranger. Wade, you were a stranger last year. You've been to my house for barbecues. You'll never have another barbecue like it. I know, they're delicious. <laughs> people who are strangers now can be your best friend. They can be somebody who greatly impacts your life. But we just have to open the crescent moon. And I'm going to show, close with something very alarming that I discovered when putting this message together. I mean, it, I was deeply, deeply troubled. Because there's a horrifying thought when it comes to those who reject over and over again this beautiful thing called hospitality. James chapter 2, verse 20, James said, but, if you are, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Our faith in Jesus will be judged by the fruit of our lives, especially how we practice hospitality. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus records something troubling. He says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now listen to what happens next. Everyone he mentions next is a stranger to the people he's talking about. I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you did not look after me. Truly, truly, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. That really alarmed me when I read that, and I thought, Lord, help me to always live with a crescent moon. So we're on the island of Paros. It's our last, we only got two more days left, and um, we decided to go wine tasting. I personally am not a fan of wine. My wife likes wine, so we went to wine taste. So we're sitting there having the worst flight of wine I've ever tasted in my life, and we're sitting next to this couple. There's a mother-in-law and a baby and this younger couple, they're like 30. And we're sitting there, and we can tell them talking they're American, because they have, they have no accent like all the other people that have accents. And I'm wearing this camouflage hat with an American flag with an elk horn on it. And the mother-in-law goes, you're a Second Amendment guy, aren't you? And I was like, what? what? 
I'm from Hayden, Idaho. You're a second, I mean, right? If you're in Idaho, you have to be, right? Or they don't let you live in the state, right? I'm like, well, you know, I'm not a Second Amendment guy, but I'm a hunter and I like guns, whatever. She goes, I knew it, I knew it. So we start talking and we start engaging in a conversation. So we're like, my wife and I are looking at each other like, what, God, what do you have in store for us here? We thought it was really weird because they say, we're on our honeymoon. I thought, well, that's really weird. You're on your honeymoon with your mother-in-law and you have a baby. So what's going on here? There's something not right here, Merle. We're like, something's weird. So we start talking, and well, they got married 15 months ago. They got pregnant a couple months later. It was COVID, so all their trips had to cancel. In delivery, her, her baby boy, Braxton, almost dies. She almost dies. Like, it was a, it was a miracle they even lived. Braxton, I, I noticed that they, ha- so they have Braxton, and she's feeding him through a tube. He'll be on a, he's got some kind of thing where he's going to be, he's deaf, and he has to be fed through the stomach unless God intervenes with a miracle. But, they, but 13 months later, they have their honeymoon, or 15 months later, whatever it was, they have their honeymoon, and they take Braxton because, one, they don't want to forsake their honeymoon. Two, they're going to live their life anyway, and this kid has better grow up strong or else, I mean, type of thing. So they're really doing it the way I resonate. And, and so we start talking to them, and then the, the, da- the daughter, I can't remember her name. His name is Josh Dunn, Braxton Dunn, crazy mother-in-law from Hayden, and then I don't know who the, kid, the, the wife's name is, but she says, yeah, I was a teacher, and I had to quit. And then the mother-in-law goes, you're Christians, aren't you? She says that to us. You're Christians, aren't you? I go, I don't know if we're Christians, but we love Jesus. You know, so yeah, I guess. If you, we love Jesus. Let's just stop there. So she's like, I knew it. I knew it. So we start engaging, and this gal says, well, I got fired from my, my public school job, and the only job I could find was a Christian school hired me. This couple, they're not even, the mother-in-law is like beaming because this, this, her daughter is on the spiritual journey, and they're not quite there yet. Like, maybe they're even Christians. And Josh, the father-in-law, the husband says, what do you do for a living? I don't know what I do for a living. I, write, I speak, I write books, I, I don't know what I do. So I kind of, I'm kind of like a pastor guy. I don't really know what I do. He goes, tell me about your ministry. So I told him about our ministry. He goes, I need that in my life. Can I follow you? Yes. So we have this beautiful conversation with this couple. I regret never praying for them, but every time we go up for communion, we pray for Braxton. We pray for him, Braxton, because we, he's on our heart now. God put him in our lives, right? So I get home, I get this email. Hey, Jim, this is Josh Dunn. I met you at Paros at the winery. Hey, how you doing? I go, hey, can I send you a book? He said, yes, I will. Yes, so, yes, yes, please, please, please. They're in Las Vegas. They don't know anybody. Just moved there from San Diego. I said, hey, we have a church that supports us as missionaries, Sloan Community Church. It's a bunch of millennials who started a house church. You would love this church. So I introduced them to the two house leaders who are dear friends of mine, Casey McCusker. You guys is one of our national captains. And so now they're plugging him into their church. I sent him a book. I said, hey, we got this great program, National Captains. You need to go to our website, sign up for our program, and become a, you need to join one of our virtual teams. So all I'm saying is this. I have no idea what Josh is going to do, but how cool that God just dumped this family into the hands of some strangers. You just never know what's going to happen with little Braxton because he ran into some strangers tasting horrible wine on Paros, Greece. You just never know. So my encouragement for us at YCC is this, as the band comes up, will you love strangers? Will you on Sunday mornings open up the wagons, invite people into your space, be open in a restaurant, be open with your barista, be open with your grocery store clerk, be open with your waiter or waitress to do whatever God may bring your way when that time arises? You don't have to fabricate these things. You don't have to force them. You just have to be willing to say, God, help me to show love to strangers. In Jesus' name, amen. 
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.